0: The text this evening is found in the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. I'll read the first five verses. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being pretty to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Uh, This account uh, seemingly stands in contrast to the wonderful events that are recorded in the book of Acts with the establishment of the church which is from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 4. Like the 8,000 plus that had already believed, had looked into the gospel, Ananias and Sapphira were just as attracted to it. It was something that they wanted to have a part of. They wanted to be involved with it. And so uh, that is why they sold a possession and wanted to, in their case, only give part of it uh, to uh, the church. Now, at this point, uh, the early church had already experienced things that uh, were foretold to them just prior to our Lord's ascension. He had told them that you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, that, of course, was fulfilled. That was the word of God. He just foretold it. In fact, there's within the first eight chapters, there's four greats. It says that great power was upon them. Great grace was upon them. Here, in this scripture text, great fear. And finally, great persecution in chapter 8, verse 1. Great power, of course, referenced the Holy Spirit being outpoured upon the 120 that had gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. That was the birth of the church, the empowering of it. The first sermon that Peter preached had power upon it, power of the Holy Ghost. It says it pricked their hearts and 3,000 souls were added to the church. They got to see that power further exhibited, when Peter and John in the third chapter went to the temple to pray and there was a lame man begging. Peter and John looked at him. He hoped to receive something from them. But what did they have? Well, they had what Jesus told them that they would have. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. They said, silver and gold have I none. None. But as such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, there was power in their witness. Well, that man leaped up and went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. Well, this gave Peter just another opportunity to share the gospel. People were stirred up. They saw the miracle. So he was able to share a message with them. It said 5,000 men believed. Now, at that time, when it says 5,000 men, kind of like what happened with the Philippian jailer, uh, you could say most likely their houses came into the church. So many more than that would have been added. And in the fourth chapter, verse 33, again, it says and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were simply preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ, uh, one who went to the cross to suffer and die for you and me, God has raised him from the dead. And by the power of the word of God, uh, the church uh, was growing it also says great grace was upon them. They needed that great grace. Their preaching did not make the religious leaders very happy. No, they got a council together, arrested them. It says the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the high priest, they put Peter and John before that council. They questioned them. What did they get out of it? Well, they had to take knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They could feel that power, uh, that witness upon their life. They could recognize it. And in the end, they they could not deny uh, the work that the Lord was doing and raising up that lame man. The most they could do was threaten them, which that just gave them a desire for more boldness. They were able to go back and... Tell the church the wonderful things that God was doing. The end of the fourth chapter notes that a a man named Joseph says, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation. He was a Jew. He was a Levite. He was from Cyprus. It says, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, that was not even unusual at that time. They had already noted that many had done that. You see, they saw the value of the gospel. They loved it. They didn't care that uh, whether there's a cost to it or not. Uh, they just wanted to put their all into it. They didn't want to hold back anything. Uh, they just had a desire uh, to be with those who, that called upon Christ. They wanted to be with those that were part of a movement that was making a difference in the hearts and lives of people. They could feel the great grace that was upon them. Recently, I read an account of an incident that happened before the fall of the Iron Curtain. In Eastern Europe, it says there was a group of believers. At that time, they would have to gather in secret in a house and uh, try to have church. Well, they were having church, and some soldiers kicked in the door. And they leveled their guns at them. And they told them, if you deny Christ, you can leave. If you stay, you will die. Three or four of them got up, denied the Lord, and left in order to save their lives. After they were gone, the soldiers put down their guns. And they told them they were sorry. They just had to be sure who were the true Christians because they were also Christians. And they worshiped together. Well, you see, you can be an Ananias and a Sapphira, or you can be like Barnabas. Of course, Ananias and Sapphira saw what many had done. They seemed to also want to be a part of it. They had noted how Barnabas had been recognized. So they too, they they wanted to be accepted. Uh, perhaps there was some envy there. They wanted to be recognized. But they just wanted to hold on uh, to a little something else with that. Now we can uh, perhaps wonder why God would so swiftly uh, execute a judgment upon them. Uh, certainly, we have to believe so early in the church that there needed to be a standard of holiness an integrity to the gospel when the sacrificial system of the law was initially set up under Moses. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they tried to offer strange fire on the altar. The Lord didn't accept that. In fact, fire came up and devoured them. Well, Peter had asked Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the lamb? Then verse 4, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Well, James 1.15 tells us that When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. It's interesting to note the parable that our Lord had spoken in Matthew 13 of the wheat and the tares, when you consider Ananias and Sapphira. In that parable... He told of a man that had planted good seed. And while they slept, an enemy came and sowed tares in his field. So later when it says the fruit, that would have been the the wheat, came up, uh, the servants, they could see that there was tares in with it. And they said, didn't we plant good seed? What what are these terrors? And the householder said, an enemy hath done this. Well, you see, Satan was trying to get some terrors into the church. But there's a difference. You see, the servants, they said to that householder, the owner, do you want us to go? and to pull out those tares. And he said, no, don't don't do that, lest you also pull up the good wheat. Leave it, let it go up, and then at the harvest when we send in the reapers and they gather it up, we'll have them bundle off the tares separately and they'll burn those. Well, here, this was God. God could perform that exact surgery needed to remove those tears without doing any damage to the good church body that was there. And we need to understand that. That's not something that that we need to do. That's something that, uh, those type of things, we need to leave with God uh, to do. But, of course, the Lord used this again to Put great fear. Not just into the believers, but to others that were looking into the gospel. And you might wonder, is, is that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing to have the fear of the Lord. It worked for the early church. It, it didn't stifle them in any way. In fact, verse 14, it says, and believers were more added to the Lord. It's good to understand that uh, we can't uh, handle the the gospel flippantly, that we have to take it seriously. We have to have a, a willingness uh, to apply it. We can't come into it with our own agenda. Uh, we don't want to uh, do something that would ever discourage anybody else within the church. Uh, we want to hold on to the integrity of the good thing that the Lord has given us. Because what we find uh, in this account and leading up to it was they were enjoying unity in the church uh, through the power uh, that rested upon it, the great grace that rested upon it. it. It brought unity into the church. And we can see how much God uh, loved that type of unity. And so uh, what this account lets us know is, is God puts a premium on what we bring into the church in our heart. Uh, it's up to us to make sure that we keep ourselves in a place where we're desiring to walk holy because that does impact the church as as the church yearns for revival. As the church yearns to see the the power of God be able to come down and not just say, but Entirely sanctify and to fill believers with the Holy Spirit. We have to ask ourselves the question uh, when it comes to our service to God. Where are we going to stand? Like the believers in that secret meeting. Are we going to be like Barnabas? Are we just going to be all sold out for the gospel? Romans 12.1 tells us that we're to present our lives a living sacrifice. You don't have a feeling that you're holding on to anything there. We present ourselves a living sacrifice to God. And then God is able to take that sacrifice. The God of heaven who owns you and me. We don't own ourselves. No, we belong to God. And we're to bring Him glory. And so when we have that proper understanding that He is the Lord and we are His servant, well, everything that that we have belongs to Him. And hopefully, not only do we come through a camp meeting with a determination... Uh, To examine ourselves. And and to uh, consider. Is my all on the altar? Is it there? Have I given it to God? Have I brought him all the possessions of my heart? And laid them there. Not holding anything. Keeping anything back from God. When we do that. We can expect God To come down and hear and answer our prayers. That's what the early church experienced. That's also a formula for us to follow. For the young people that will be going to youth camp. Just go to every service that you're in. And say, Lord, I I want to make sure that everything, everything that I possess, everything I hope to possess, Everything that I desire of this life, it's put down before you. I give it all. I, I want to be like the early church that enjoyed the blessing of God, enjoyed great power, enjoyed great grace upon them. And more than that, they enjoyed victory. And God has victory for us when we determine in our hearts that there is nothing between us us. And the Savior, you can expect the Savior to come down and bless. We're going to sing song 602, and the altars of prayer are open.